John 13, and let's go ahead and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much once again for each and every person who is here. Thank you for your plan and purpose for this time that we are together. We do ask you for the word for the hour, the message for this time. Lord, may revelation just flow freely. May we have uh, your word illuminated to us so that we can see clearly and know truth that makes us free. Thank you for all that you have planned for us. Now we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 13, and let's read verse 34. 13, 34. Jesus speaking here says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's a simple but powerful verse of Scripture, isn't it? That we love one another. Now, they were, of course, very familiar with the commandments, uh, especially the Ten Commandments. Uh, and Jesus came along and said, I want to give you something new here. Now, it wasn't completely new in the sense that they have never heard about love before, because they were told that in the Old Testament. But it was new in the sense of understanding, in the, in the sense of it becoming the primary and main principle from, the, for, from that point through the rest of their lives. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How many know that you could sum up the entire New Testament requirements for the believer today with simply this particular verse of Scripture? Okay, say, so what do I need to do? I've accepted the Lord. I've received salvation. What should I do now? You should love each other. How? Like Jesus did. That's what you should do. And if someone really couldn't figure out anything else, if they never learned some of the deep stuff, if they never really grew beyond that, but they mastered this command, I want to tell you, they would have the most amazing life. So many times, people learn much more, and they can explain a lot of the ins and outs, but they leave the most important thing aside. If we will master the love of God, it will change everything. It will change all of your relationships. It will change your relationship with God. As I'll show you, your faith will abound if you will master the love of God. Amen. The Lord could have said anything, I think. I mean, God could have made any rule or principle or commandment the guiding principle for the New Testament, for the life that we live today. But he chose to make love the central focus and key, the identifier of a person who's saved versus lost. He made it the overriding guiding rule for our lives. If you were to have a supernatural, miraculous visitation, or maybe you were caught up as Paul was to the third heaven, and you stood before the very throne of God, angels around, and you st and, and and Jesus, the Master, came over to you, and uh, and you thought, you know what, this is it. He is going to tell me some stuff. I've been having some questions. He is going to reveal some things to me that nobody knows. And uh, and you went to him and said, Lord, what should I do? What's the main thing that people need to hear? I know people are missing it down there. 
And I'm go, I'll tell him. What do you want me to tell him? I don't think I could confidently say that he would tell you anything except for tell them to love each other. Tell them to love one another, not as they think love looks like, not within their concocted definition of love. Tell them to do it like I did it. And that'll be good. You'll win the world. Lives will be changed all over the place. If you'll love. There is a reason that God put such great emphasis on this command being the new commandment. All right. Go, go with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. I want to begin a new series today. It's deep. It's heavy. It's called. Ready? The love of God. <laughs> it's not a reverse message. <laughs> this is straightforward, <laughs> in your face. And I tell you what, God is going to be so pleased with you, <laughs> as you as you understand His love and and begin to walk in this. This is uh, again, I can't put any subject on a higher level than this. Romans thirteen. Verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. What have they done? They, they've fulfilled it. If you will love, you can forget about all the other stuff in the law. Because you've already got it down. Say, so do I need to memorize? What if, do I know all the commandments? If you know love, you know them all. Are you listening? There is no commandment that was given pre-Christ that was given to curb sin that is not uh, inherently contained within the love law. And it is the central focus of the Christian life. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Someone said, how could I tell if I am adequately living for God and doing what I am instructed to do in my life? Are you causing anyone harm? Is anyone in your life harmed by you? If they are, you're breaking the one thing that we're told, that we're told to, uh, to live. Okay? Because if you don't harm your neighbor... You're good. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Like we said, it is the commandment in the New Testament. So what do I need to know? You need to know about love. You need to live the love life. Say, so if the Lord were to show up and preach a sermon today, I can't help but think that at least part of it, a good majority of it, would be on love. Because it is, again... The most important thing that we need to get down and established in our lives. Okay? If you didn't know anything else in life. But succeeded in mastering the love life. 
you have truly succeeded. Yet if you establish many successes and establish a great wealth of knowledge in many other areas, but leave out this primary important subject of love, you will, I believe, in eternal, from an eternal perspective, have failed. And really things won't be too much fun either. It is the highest way that we can live. We oftentimes talk about the life of God being life church. We emphasize Zoe or the God kind of life, the quality of life that God lives in and all that God intended for us to live in. Okay, It's his plan. It's his purpose. But you know you can't have the life of God without having the love of God. There is no separation. There's no parking gap in between God and love. They are really one and of the same. And if I'm going to live his life, and what does his life include? It includes, like we've even taught recently, so many things that I want. His life is an abundant life. His life is full of joy. His life is a strong life, has strength. It has prosperity, has abundance, has health, it has, has, has victory. It's just, it's God. It's a God kind of life. Okay, well then God is love. If I want that life, I have to walk in that kind of love. That love and that life are inseparable. And so this love is very key to me having and experiencing what God wants me to have. Of course, you know that in the book of 1 John, it says that God is what? Love. He is love. And so if He is by His very nature love, what in the world do we think He wants us to be? Because he, he made in the beginning, you know, he, God said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. What is that like? We think, well, God has a head. God has arms. He made us like him. Well, I think the more important qualities, yes, I do think God has a head and arms. <laughs> but the more important quality in that is that he made us to love like him. Because that is the defining word of God. Is God powerful? Absolutely. But the Bible didn't say, to my knowledge, God is power. Hmm. Is it, and there are so many defining characteristics of God that describe of what He is and what He's like, but He is love. And so if I'm trying to attain power is the most important thing without becoming love like He is, then I think I'm going about things the wrong way. This love is a very powerful thing. Now, if we are going to live the love life, like we're called to live, and I tell you, like you want to live, the more you understand it, there are three things that you really must understand. Number one is God's love to you, or God's love for you. Number two is God's love in you, that it is established in you, okay? And number three, God's love through you. And each of these are, if I start from number three, they're each dependent on the previous one. I will have a really difficult time in my life loving you with this kind of God-inspired love if I don't know that that love has been deposited in me. And I will have a real difficult time even believing that God's love is in me as a child of God if I don't know how much He loves me. 
Okay? And so we are going to start from the top, and let's talk a little bit about how much God loves us. Do you know that it's more than you know? It's more than most of us can even comprehend. It will absolutely blow our minds as we see how much God loves us. And will it impact us to any degree? Oh, huge. There are so many, many people who, who live their lives making mistake after mistake after mistake, failure after failure, and they would never make them if they knew how much God loved them. Because they're going out and looking to put things, looking to do things and looking for things from other people that will make them feel loved and make them feel good about themselves and make them feel accepted. And if you only knew how much God loved you, you wouldn't bother messing around with some of these counterfeits. It would so satisfy your soul that you would have a confidence to keep your head up and your shoulders back and take life head on, not be afraid of anything or afraid of anyone. Knowing that God loves you will establish you in confidence more than anything else. I tell you, it will strip fear and anxiety right away from your life. This love is powerful stuff. It is potent. It will change us. It will change the way we think, change our relationships and so much about us. But listen, it is very difficult for a person to love others if they do not feel loved themselves. Usually, those who are the meanest, those who are the, you know, the meanest. <laughs> The cruelest people, the rudest people, the most obnoxious people. And they're, they're constantly running over people. Independent, you know, not caring about their feelings or their, uh, their well-being. They're just running over people through life. Those people are usually the ones that like themselves the least. They're usually the most unhappy people. And they are living from the inside out. They don't like themselves. They feel guilty. They feel unworthy. They feel ashamed. They feel... Just a bunch of stuff they can't really explain. And as a result of that, they'll run you over. As a result of that, they'll be rude to you. And they'll try to take you down. And not necessarily going through this psychological approach where they're calculating their decisions. I don't like me, so I'm not going to like you. No, they just find themselves being more bitter towards other people. They find themselves being more hurtful uh, towards other people. And uh, this can be corrected in any person's life. No matter where you're at, you may have grown up with people telling you, man, because every time you failed, you were treated like a dirty dog, treated like a good-for-nothing, waste of flesh, wasting the oxygen. You know, if you did something good, nothing was said. If you did something bad, you were beat down. You know, and it, and it gives people a really bad perception of themselves. They don't feel like anyone loves them, especially if a parent did that to you. You have a, probably have a difficult time today believing that God really loves you unless you're just living perfect. And the moment you make a mistake, you're feeling like, ah, God's not pleased with me. You don't know Him because He's not like those parents of yours. He's not like some of those authorities in your life now that just constantly rip on you. And every, every little mistake you make, they're going to, you know, take you out as a result of it and make you feel like you're just worthless. I want to tell you that God is not that way. 
And so people need to feel good about themselves. You need to experience God's love for you before you can confidently really relate to others on that level. Okay? Now, Matthew 19, 19, Jesus said, you know that you've heard this before, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many know it can be really difficult to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself? If you don't like you, if every time you think about yourself, you just have a huge long list of everything that you don't like. You don't like mirrors. You don't like thinking about your, you get, about your skill set. I've been ripped off in the gift department. I don't, have the, I don't look like I want to look like. I don't, don't like the tone of my voice. I don't like, you know, just don't like yourself. You're, I don't want to hang around you. You know what I'm talking about. And it's kind of a perpetuating cycle that it's hard to get out of because you don't like yourself. And so because of that, you're going to treat people out of that. You're, you're not, you're not going to relate well to others. You're either going to be one of these people that can't look someone in the eye. Hey, how you doing? And that's just weird. Okay? You're just hard to be around because we don't know what to do with that. Right? But you're probably not trying to do it. You're not trying to be weird. You just really don't like yourself that much. And so you're so self-conscious of everything about you. And so you can't really make a good friend. Maybe you, you know, maybe you find someone else who does that. And then you go, you hang out and you always look at the floor. But you can't have a really deep relationship that way. How many know if you don't like yourself, you can't really have a, have a great marriage either. You can't because, you, listen, you need to be confident and know that you're worth something. Know that you're valuable. Know that you're important. Okay? And if no person has ever told you that, I'm going to tell you that today. And I'm not just going to give you my opinion because that's not worth a whole lot. But I'll tell you from God's perspective. I'll give you the, uh, the author on the authority of the written word of God that God loves you. Oh, and if you'll just give a gap today and start believing it. Say, yeah, really? The Lord loves me? But I've blown it. I'm going to show you that's okay. It's not okay, but it's okay. You know what I'm saying? I mean, our goal is not to blow it. Our goal is to do right. But if you're just so beat up from every time you make a mistake, you'll probably never come out of that. Because you hit yourself over the head for doing wrong, and then you feel like a jerk, so you treat other people like a jerk, and that's blowing it again, so you feel bad about that. And you never can really get out of that until you give yourself a break and say, the Lord loves me anyway. He still thinks I'm valuable, still thinks I'm special, and he's right. I'm going to go ahead and go with his opinion and not everybody else's. And so, again, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So it should be a goal. It almost sounds backwards to love, but you've got to love yourself. There's some things about you've got to like your own self. You've got to stop believing that you were gypped. You know, like the person who, when they were handing out brains, thought they said trains and said, I already have one. <laughs> you know, when God was handing things out, you just didn't get your portion, and man, I'm gypped going through life. You've got to stop believing that. Okay, you must make a conscious decision that says, I am important, I'm valuable, there are things in me that are uh, very special, they're important, they're worth uh, other people's attention, I've got gifts and abilities, God is in me, come on now, we must start, make a conscious decision to believe that, even if your head tells you the whole time, liar, you're ugly, untalented, can't speak, 
can't walk straight, can't chew gum at the same, and, you know, and, and walk at the same time. And <laughs> so a prerequisite to loving others is receiving God's love for yourself. Receiving God's love for yourself will change the way you view yourself. Okay? Go to the book of John. Left turn. John chapter 3. There is a verse in here that I think some of you have heard before. But don't stop turning just because you know it. Go ahead and look. John chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, For God so loved the really nice people in the world. God, let me look at that clearly. God so loved the sinless. God so loved everyone that was nice to him. That had respect for his position as master of the universe. No, God so loved the world. What condition was the world in? Anti-God. Full of sin full of darkness, full of bitterness and hatred and lying and envy and strife and murder and junk, anti-God stuff, rebelling against Him. People were doing horrific things. You, You look at the world today. There are some parts of the world that people are doing things that are just mind boggling to civilized people, especially God fearing, God loving people. Come on. I mean, you look at some of, some of what, uh, uh, Al-Qaeda does and, and, and some of these guys and the torture and the uh, people doing that to other people how is that even imaginable people do it and worse look at some of the sex trade industry going on in, in certain countries it is horrific it just wow and God looks and, and was this kind of stuff happening back then yes people have throughout history done some very terrible things hurt other people and God looked at them and loved them. I don't know about you. I'm blown away even right now as I think about it. Wow. Because I see that, I want to take them out. Give me a bat. And I'm saved too. I just, <laughs> just got the flesh still hanging on. But God looked at the world and said, I love those guys. In fact, I'm about to show you. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. How many of us think with our natural, unrenewed portion of our mind, I don't want them to perish. I mean, that's who hell was made for, you guy right there. (laughs) Hmm. But God looked at them and loved them. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. In verse 8. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, how many know He's teaching them in the book of Romans about grace, about how God deals with you not according to your works and your, and, and your righteousness, but according to His grace and His mercy. And they were already saved, and they had to be reminded, listen, you trying to live this thing in the flesh? You trying to live this thing by your own merits? Even before you were saved, while you were still a sinner, that's when Christ died for you. Apparently, 
sinful behavior, wrong actions, are not powerful enough to keep God's love from us. Again, we must be reminded that it wasn't when people were crying out, Lord, save us. Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us of our wicked ways. That he said, I'm going to send my son. You guys have cried out to me. I'm going to send my only begotten son to die and, and take your sins so you can be free. It is while people were turning their backs on God. Even the time that Jesus showed up, you know the nation of Israel was backslidden. They were not all walking with God. John the Baptist had to go before him to get some of them to repent, try to pave the way, try to give an opening so when Jesus came he had something to work with, right? These people were not calling out after God. They were doing things their own way. They were living their own lives and some of it in absolute horrific sin. And God looked down and said, now's the time. I love them so much. And Jesus gave his life. This is powerful stuff. If he did that for us, mankind as I'm speaking, the world while yet in sin, what about someone who receives the Lord? They're changed in a moment. They're transferred from darkness to light. They're made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but then they blow it. What's God's attitude towards that person? You telling me he's loving the world in absolute and complete rebellion to him? Yet when you as a child of God, you've turned your life over to him, but blow it and you may fall into sin, that he's ticked off? I'm telling you, his love is poured out to you. The same way it was before you were saved, it's poured out to you for in, in every situation, no matter how many times you blow it. Amen. This is what we must get a hold of if we're ever going to receive and walk in God's love toward us we must understand that he's not constantly ticked off at all of our mistakes hmm. do you think that he knew let's just get in the in the mind of God for a moment that he knew prior to you showing up on the scene or any believer for that matter let's go back pre-new testament and he had his plan to send Jesus as the Messiah to uh, him to live the sinless life and, and he would come and he would be the, the spotless lamb, but then would be cursed with, our, with what we deserved. He, sin would be placed on him so that we could get off scot-free. And he had this plan that I'll put the blame, I'll put the curse on Jesus, and now whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'll come in, I'll cause them to be born again. I'll put my life in them. I'll put my spirit spirit in them I'll begin to do a work in them from the inside out do you think that he thought after doing that that from the moment of our new birth there would never be a mistake again do you think after that first group got saved filled with the spirit on the day of Pentecost powerful and then shortly thereafter some of them sinned acted selfishly they were do, did some wrong things that God went, oh, what happened? It didn't work. What's going on here? I changed them. I put my spirit in them. What is going on here? And he was all ticked off. I can't believe this. I'd go through all this stuff, suffer and die for you, and you sinned again? I think he knew ahead of time, you know what, that you would blow it. Even... Not just B.C., I'm talking after you've been saved. He knew that you would receive him, you'd repent of your sins, come to him, and the next day 
you'd be ugly. You'd act ugly towards someone. You'd do something wrong. You'd misbehave. And uh, he knew that some of you, listen now, he knew you'd go away for a while. You'd receive him. You were changed. And you'd turn your back on him for a while and lived out in your selfish, pathetic life. Sorry, that's my words. But it was, right? Huh? Some of you have been away from God. Some of you might be away from God now. Your life's not worth much in that state. It's not very valuable. You know, it's empty. God knew you would do it. And while, while knowing that, in advance, because he has foreknowledge. Come on, he sees the end from the... He knew you would blow it. And he sent Jesus for you anyway. He still put his spirit in you. He still called you with a holy calling. He still made you one of his own. Even though he knew you'd blow it. Your sin, this was, here's what I'm getting to. Your sin is not going to separate you from God's love. Your mistakes and shortcomings and failures in life do not remove you from God's everlasting, eternal, and powerful love. He loves you right in the middle of it. I know you beat yourself up. We've all beat ourselves up before for things we've done, mistakes we've made. I want to know you right in the middle of it. God wasn't saying, Psh, get out of here. Gave you a chance. He's saying, come on back. Mm, come on back. Mm. You ever gotten away from God? You had that little tug? Maybe you didn't fully get away from God. You just got into, did some wrong things. Did some, got in some sinful behavior not on the inside. Mm, mm, mm. It's tugging you back. There's something on the inside that says, God still loves me. And your mind says, no, he don't. You're, no, he doesn't. You're a dirty dog. You're a waste of flesh, wasting the oxygen. Need to get out of here. God on the inside saying, I still love you. Hasn't changed. Your sin is, no, is not more powerful than God's love. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we say, and go to 1 John 3 as we're talking here. 1 John, go towards Revelation. 1 John 3. Sometimes we say uh, to each other that we should love the sinner and hate the sin. That's good advice. That's good advice. You see people that are just in all kinds of sin. You can, how many know you can love the person without loving what they do? Do you think God follows that? Do you think He loves you even though some things that you do He doesn't love? Absolutely He does. Does He love the sin? No. Hates sin. Hates sin. But loves you right in the middle of it. Loves you with a mind-boggling love. A love that doesn't make sense. A love that says you should be thrown up against the wall. And he says, no, no, not going to do it. I'm going to draw you back. He sees your potential. He sees your future. He sees what you can be. And he sees who he's already made you to be in Christ. 1 John 3 and verse 16 says, by this we know love. In other words, how, how in the world am I supposed to know what love is? Apparently without this, I can't know it. Now the world talks about love all day long. The world has all kinds of different funky definitions of love. Hmm. Sometimes, a, uh, you know, sometimes a single person will say to someone they're dating or interested in, if you love me, you will, as they try to tempt them in the sexual arena. If you love me, you will. I will what? Hmm. That's not love. That's not, that has nothing to do, zero to do with the God kind of love. The kind of love that, that, that we're shown in the Bible. Just the opposite is true. I'd say, if you love me, you, you wouldn't ask. Jerk. <laughs> if you love me, you wouldn't be putting pressure on. But how can we know love? Well, by this. 
can we know love? Because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What is this love that we're talking about? It can only be defined by Jesus giving His life. That's the only way you can fully understand and comprehend the love that we're supposed to live. Is Jesus, while we were yet sinners, dirty dogs, rebelling against God, loved us so much and He gave His life for us. Let me, bring, let me come back to that last illustration. This is free for second service today. Uh, about, about a person misunderstanding what love is and thinking if someone loves me, they will give something to me. No, that's not how, that's not how we approach love. On the contrary, love lays down its life for another person. How many know that when someone gets married, that's really what that's supposed to be about? When I got married, it was not supposed to be about what she could do for me. It was supposed to be about, I'm marrying her, I'm now laying down my life for her. And the vice versa should be true for her, but that's really not my concern. Because I can't make her do that. But if I really love her... I marry, I'm committing my life to her as long as we both shall live. My, I'm laying down my life for her. Love, marriage and love is really about serving somebody else. It's, I believe that I can make your life better. Not just that you're going to make me look better. Although I get that too. <laughs> but it shouldn't be my motivation just what I can get from her. But what I can give to her and ever whenever we 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 think about love that's really the the side we should be approaching it from is if i love you i'm going to do something for you in reality laying down our lives for somebody that's what jesus said how can i really fully understand and comprehend the love of god it's called jesus on the cross and it's nothing short of that it's called we didn't deserve it he said i love you so much i'm going to take a beating here I'm going to get whipped. I'm going to get thrashed. I'm going to get torn up. And I'm going to not only get beat up on the outside, I'm going to get beat up on the inside because I'm going to take the curse. I'm going to take your sin and everything wrong you've ever done. And I'm going to take it all upon me and I'm going to die with it. Ouch. That's love. This is the kind of love that God loves us with. Go to Mark chapter uh, 4 with me. Usually you can determine the value of any particular object by what someone is willing to pay for it. Okay? If I, ha I have this watch here. Someone say, what's that worth? Well, what do you think it's worth? <laughs> someone said, I I'll give you $100 for it. I said, no. You'll give me, I'll, I'll sell it to you for 1000 and no less. What's my watch worth? worth a thousand isn't it <laughs> you're right to me but I own it it's mine and so I set the value if you want it from me if I determine I'm not going to give it to you for anything less than a million then it's now worth a million right 
It's whatever, whatever price would be paid for something or is paid for something, that gives an indication of the value of that. What price was paid for you? How much did you cost? You know, we used to tease our children that we bought them at Costco. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> you know, got them in bulk. <laughs> got a pretty good deal, but we can still take them back. <laughs> still have the receipt. <laughs> in reality, our lives, as far as being bought back from death, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death that's separation from God and that's forever okay what did it cost to get you back because originally in God's plan we were all his he created us we belonged to him but we we were sold out living in sin what did it cost to get us back it cost the very life of his son it cost the blood of Jesus are you valuable to God <sighs> he paid the ultimate price for you hmm. he didn't pull out his checkbook and write a million dollars and I'll get you then you'd be worth a million I'm telling you, you're worth so much more than that, it's not even funny. There is no comparison. There is nothing on earth that can even measure up or, or tell, tell you how much you're worth that even measures close to the very blood of His Son, the life He gave. That's how much you're worth to God. Wow. You think He's going to let you go? You think because you blew it a few times, because you messed up here and there, and you fell short here, and you had a bad attitude here, he's going to let you go over that? He paid too much for you. Huh? How many know when you pay a lot for something? How many, have you ever got a new car, and you park at the back of the parking lot for a while? You don't want some idiot to ding your door? When you pay a lot for something, you want to take care of it. You want to keep that thing shining. You follow it around with a cloth for a little while. And uh, did you see that sprinkle of rain? Back of the car wash. <laughs> Get that, keep, take care of that thing. How much did the Lord pay for you? He's not letting you go over some little thing. Anything that harms you or dings you up, He's not very happy about that. Huh? This world or some other person or some devil from hell comes and messes with you. He paid a lot of money for you. He's not too pleased with that. He wants to take care of you all your days. You show, you show up on the scene shiny and clean. Smelling good. Huh? That's, that's the love of God for us. And again, we see that by what He paid for us. Mark chapter 4. Read with me over here in verse 35. Mark 4, 35. On the same day when evening had come, He said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took uh, Him along in the boat as He was, and other little boats were also with Him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? What did he say? Don't you care? How many know they don't understand him, do they? Do you not care? But I, listen, I would venture to say that there have probably been some of us at times in our lives... We've had that same thought. Maybe you said it, maybe you didn't say it, but things were not going so well. You were going through a rough time, and you thought, man, doesn't the Lord care? doesn't even care what I'm going through. Let me help you out with that real quick before we get to my point on the Scripture. Remember this. Whenever you question God's love and care for you, picture Jesus on the cross. He did that without you even asking for it. 
He gave so much more than you can even comprehend. He gave his life. Does he care? Man, bam. Can I throw this in as well? If ever your uh, knowledge of and just the very existence of a place called hell has caused you to question God's love, how could, man, how can someone go to hell? Remember this. Remember the cross. Remember the price paid. Don't, don't define God by your very limited understanding of, an, of, of hell and, and, and so forth. And we know some things about that. Define it by what you know for certain. What he did to keep anyone out of there. He gave his life. Someday we're going to see all these things without any obscurity whatsoever. Without any deception. But I want to base my knowledge of God and my relationship with God on what I know to be fact and what He did for me. Don't you care that we are perishing? Then He arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But He said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? What kind of person is fearful and without faith it is a person who questions the love of God when you know how much God cares for you you will live with and, and, and loves you you will live without fear you will your faith will be propelled to higher heights the more you understand how much God loves you in the middle of whatever hap has happened, whatever you've done, it will just be boosted. I mean, oftentimes little kids, you know, if, they're, if they have a fear during the night or a dream or they hear a, and, and they get scared, where do they go? They run to the one who cares about them the most. They run to the parents who love them the most. And how many know they get around mom and dad, you know, little kids I'm talking about, they get around mom and dad and fear goes away because they know my dad has big biceps <laughs> and he will crush anything that comes against me. <laughs> but isn't that right? Not the bicep part, but the, the fact that parents... They will do and stand in the way of anything coming against their kids. This is one of the ways, for those who, have, who are parents, uh, you can understand the love of God. And I like to, re I relate it to young children a lot because, you know, one, the Bible does refer to us as little children. You know, when you've lived for eternity past, <laughs> if you're 100 years old, you are a little child. <laughs> you know, but I think about... Uh, you know, our kids, and there's just something about, as far as a practical experience, love for a child, for your own child, that there's hardly much you can compare to that. And that you can realize sometimes how much God loves us, because where did that come from? We didn't evolve into that. That's something we came up with all by ourselves. There's something that's in, innate within us. It came from the stamp of God on our lives, that we look at our little kids and Wow. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they've blown it. It doesn't matter. You know, they wake up in the morning and their hair's sticking up. You know, and they're groggy and they're not just not all together. And there's just something. You don't even have to conjure it up. It's like, oh, I just love that child. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I'm, telling you, I'm telling you, those feelings come from God. 
That is absolutely the way God feels about you. When you woke up this morning, I don't know what you looked like, but God was pretty happy with you. <laughs> he thought, oh good, they're awake. Look at them, they're waking up. <laughs> they're rolling out. Yeah, how not? <laughs> Again, let me remind you, we didn't come up with that. We didn't come up with those feelings. It's God in us. It causes us to have that, that care and that, uh, that, that love for our children. Praise the Lord. But again, these guys, they didn't. They said, don't you know that we're perishing? It causes fear. It causes the anxiety. It lowers your faith when you don't know how much God loves you. Let me give you a couple more real quick. Everybody okay? Go to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Listen, if your theology is, is that of a vengeful, angry God, you're going to have a real tough time being close to Him. Okay? He is absolutely not that way. And sometimes people approach Him that way. God's mad at me. God's angry with me. I'm telling you, God was mad at Jesus. He was angry at Jesus in your, on your behalf. Yes, some of your sinful behaviors and my sinful behaviors, do they deserve the wrath of God? Sure. But Jesus came when He was our substitute. And we're not going to get what we deserved. We're going to get love. He loved us so much that He made a legal pathway where He could divert anything that you deserve away from you. And He could love you. He wanted that to be the case. He's a just God, though. Listen, He's a just God, and if Jesus hadn't come, we'd have had to get what we sowed. We, uh, we had to reap what we sowed. We sowed it, we have to reap it. We live sin, we're going to have to suffer the consequence, which is death, separation from Him forever. But He said, I don't want them to have to do that. I don't want them to be separated from me forever. They're bad. They're, they're a bunch of turkeys. I just love them anyway. I don't want them to have to be separated from me. So I'm going to make a way. And I, I'm acting like he's thinking a lot. I know he's pretty fast. <laughs> I'm going to take their sin. I'm going to put it on an innocent person. Put it on my only son. Therefore, in spite of all their evil ways, all their faults and failures, I, I'm going to get a, embrace them anyway. I'm going to get to be with them forever. I'm going to get to remove their sin. This is the love of God. What else would compel a person to go at length to do what he did? God is God no matter what you do. His streets are made out of gold no matter what yours are made out of. Are you listening? He's going to live in all eternity and he can be good. He's God. He's love. He's powerful. He's him. But he said, that's not good enough. I want them with me. 1 John chapter 3. Everybody there? Verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. What manner of love? You know that you're saved as a result of God's love. Nothing else. You are saved, you're called His own because of His love. You know, and now you represent Him. He wanted it that way. Even with your imperfections, He said, I'm going to be known as their dad. You know, parents sometimes lose that when they, their kids start growing up and 
and I used to have a first name. Now I'm, not, now I'm my kid's dad. You know, <laughs> but God wanted to be known by you. He wanted to put His name upon you, child of God, a Christian. We carry the stamp of who He is. Wherever you go, people look at you, and it points them to Him. Let, let, me, let me show you something else. I don't want to take too much time on that one. Last thing here. 1 John 4. 1 John 4 and verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Now stop right there a moment. He says we have known it and we have believed the love that God has for us. Do you know and do you believe the love that God has for you? To whatever degree that that is missing in our lives, we will lack confidence going before Him. We will lack boldness facing this world and all the challenges of life. When you believe and know the love that God has for you. Not talking about the love that God wants to go through you. Talking about Him loving you. That is key. You know, the Apostle John was the only uh, of the original apostles that died a natural death. Wonder if that was connected. They kept trying to take him out, and the love of God was so strong in him. The love of God was so powerful in him. He's the same writer of the Gospel of John. Remember what he said there? In, the, in, in you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that John. He wrote that, and constantly in that book, he wouldn't, he wouldn't make mention of himself by name, he would just say, the one that Jesus loves. The one that Jesus loves. And it almost sounds a little bit like, who are you? Almost, almost sounds a little, a little bit arrogant, but, but no, he was convinced. And he identified himself as the one that the Lord loves. That is one of the best things you and I could ever have going for us. If we really thought about it, who are you? The one that the Lord loves. I'm the one Jesus loves. And, and that love was so real in him that he couldn't be touched. He knew that the Lord loved him. Praise God. Put that on your business card. The one that Jesus loves. <laughs> Are you sure he loves you? Convinced of it. If you're convinced of it, it'll change your life. It'll change the way you treat other people. Change the way you approach every circumstance and situation. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. See the God-love connection? You can't separate God from love and love from God. If someone said, I was at church and God filled me up. Man, his spirit came on me. The power of God was, I was filled with him. And then on the way home, you, you know, when you kicked the dog and you yelled at the kids and you weren't filled with God. Can I tell you? Say, well, it was a powerful experience. The anointing was really strong, and you're rude to someone on the way out. You got a wrong spirit. The spirit of God is the spirit of love. And if I'm really full of the manifest presence of God, I'm going to treat you like you're something special. That's just built into it. Again, when God's love to us is magnified, then it's easy for this love to come through us. What verse are we in? Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness 
in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Not as He is, so we're going to be. As He is, the Lord Jesus is today, so are you right now. That's another message. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. Because he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I can see that my love life is connected to God's love life towards me. My ability to love you is connected to God's love shown towards me. And because that's unchanging, it's really a matter of my perception of it. When I perceive it in accuracy and in truth, how much God loves me, it will affect how I'm going to love and treat other people. But notice again, here's the, here's the point on this last, last scripture here. The love that casts out fear, the perfected love that removes fear from people, is not the fact that I walk in perfect love, that I treat everyone exactly right how God treats me. It is the fact that I have believed and known the love that God has for me that's the context when I've received the love that God has for me fear is dispelled from me I can be confident I can hold my head up high I'm not afraid of attack I'm not afraid of disease I'm not afraid of terrorism I'm not afraid of of some person not accepting me or rejecting me in some way when I know for certain how much God loves me fear is dispelled from me and I will not live that way this is why it's so important if we're going to live the love life we start with knowing how much God loves us it's beyond our understanding Ephesians says it this way it's the love of God that passes knowledge you go man why does he does he know what he's doing he knows knows your very intimate details of your life knows every thought you've ever had he knows every deceptive thing you've ever done he knows every wrong every right and he says I love you so much I can't wait for you to get up in the morning I can't wait to, I want to be close to you. I want to wrap my arms around you. I want there to be nothing between us. And we know it's going to be that way forever. Absolutely. But where do we start? It is knowing and believing the love that God has for us. Fear gets cast out in that, in that atmosphere. I will not be afraid. Why? I know God loves me. He won't let anything bad happen to me. He's my protection. He's my. He's got big honking biceps. Anything comes near me, trying to touch me, trying to ding my doors. Hmm. Pow! <laughs> Amen. Father, thank you so much in the name of Jesus today for being in us, for loving us, for giving your only son, for giving Jesus to die for us. Given, given us eternal life. Lord, I thank you today for this help. The help that you've given us in showing us your love and how valuable and precious we are to you. Help us to walk in this. <laughs> to walk in the revelation of this. Knowing that there's not a thing we could do that would separate us from your love. There's not a thing that the devil could do. Not a thing that any other person can do to make us unlovely to you. Lord, we just receive your love today. We are the one that you love. 
And I thank you for showing each and every one now. Just pray that these words would stick in the minds and hearts of each and every person throughout their day and throughout their life, knowing how much you love us. For this we give you thanks. We praise you. You're a good God to, toward us.